to the wrestling podcast that's not just for wrestling fans. This is Smark and Friends on the Two Finger Guns Club Network. My name is Zach and I'll be your host. I'm calling this episode the third part of an unofficial trilogy. Two weeks ago, we did our first film review uh, where Alexa and I reviewed Ready to Rumble. Last week, I had the filmmakers of the horror comedy Slacks on the podcast shortly after their premiere at the Fantasia Film Festival. And this week, I've decided to do another film review, another David Arquette film review. And this film happened to premiere well, not premiere, but screen at the Fantasia Film Festival this year. Um, so this podcast is going to wrap up the last three weeks in a nice little bow, I think. We're going to be talking about You Cannot Kill David Arquette, the documentary from David Darg and Price James, chronicling David Arquette's unlikely return to the pro wrestling scene. I'm letting you know right now that this is a full spoiler review, so please don't listen to this if you plan on watching the film. If you don't mind spoilers, then go ahead and listen to it. But without spilling the beans, please watch this movie, okay? I'm going to go into detail during the review, certainly, but you're going to like it, I think. Joining me on this podcast is a return guest. He was on the show in our third season. He's a man of many hats. He's a filmmaker, photographer, editor, teacher, actor. He's creative director at Bean Duck Studios. And most recently, he's launched a YouTube channel called The Coolian, where he presents a broad overview of filmmaking in a series of videos. We're going to, talk, uh, we're going to be talking to Julian Stambouli about this new project, about why he decided to put it together, as well as touch upon an upcoming crowdfunding campaign for a project that many fans have been eager for for the past couple of years, the third season of the web series LARPs. All of that, plus an in-depth review of You Cannot Kill David Arquette between a wrestling fan and a filmmaker right after these messages. Hey there, ladies and gentlemen, and everything in between, and welcome to the commercial. This is your friendly neighborhood rocket man, extorting you, if you have the time, and you find yourself in need of something to do, to please come back and visit me for Rocket Man Explorer Season 1. Or, if you just have a modicum of time, you can always go and follow us at Instagram and Twitter at RocketmanTFGC. Just stay tuned for more Rocketman Explores action, because I will be back. Now back to your regularly scheduled and much better programming of Smark and Friends. Enjoy! And we're back. Joining me is filmmaker and creative director of Bean Duck Studios. He's also recently launched a new YouTube endeavor with The Coolian. I'm welcoming Julian Stambouli to the show. Julian, how you doing? I'm just swell. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. How's things treating you in this, uh, this COVID world? Uh, you know what? Uh, it's, it could, it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, we, uh, I moved at the very beginning of all of this. I moved like March 31st or something or March 30th. Oh, uh, and my birthday is March 13th. So <laughs> it was just like, first off, I started off really depressed because like, no, my birthday's ruined. And then, you know, we moved in the middle of all this and I got into a really good routine of like anime in the morning. I've never watched anime, so I decided I was taking it upon myself to watch anime. Um, played a lot of World of Warcraft. Um, but now that uh, things have opened up again, um, or slowly but surely, uh, Bean Duck has survived so far. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, a, a, a huge part to our landlord, who's awesome and has applied for all the rent relief stuff. So we've gotten we've been able to survive and business is, is slowly coming back. And so my two hours of work and eight hours of relaxation every day has now reverted back to the way it originally was. And now I'm working all day and uh, getting a little bit of gaming in. Well, it's good to be busy and you certainly uh, added more to your plate with, uh, with the Coolian on YouTube. Uh, tell us a little bit about this project. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny cause like right before the pandemic hit, uh, I was in the middle of teaching a filmmaking workshop and teaching is, is something that I've been doing for about a decade. Um, start off tutoring math, going into filmmaking and editing. Uh, and I was pretty disappointed that the workshop got kind of canceled halfway through mm. at the same time I was searching because filmmaking is, is such a, um, laborious task with so many moving parts. I think I was kind of looking for something that I can work on and and have full control over not necessarily from like a controlling point of view but from like a progress point of view to just be able to get things done quickly uh and then be able to put them up and and see results you know so that kind of encouraged me to then just take my teaching put it onto you to, to youtube uh 
And so the channel is uh, starting off as the basics of, of filmmaking, you know, lenses, lighting, all that jazz, but also doing some unboxings. And I just bought a drone, so I'm testing that this weekend. I did an unboxing of it yesterday, which was a disaster, and I'll probably not use it because it's a complete <laughs> shit show. But uh, yeah, so just sharing indie stuff, uh, some good humor along the way, I think. So open to all levels, uh, especially as time goes on, we'll be throwing some more advanced stuff in there as well. Cool. See, I thought you had experience in, uh, in unboxing video content. You'd think, you'd <laughs> think, right? Um, yeah. And especially considering how well the first time I ever did it went. Oh Indeed. my God. It yeah. was so, but uh, when you're trying to decipher poorly translated Chinese instructions on camera That's... live, <laughs> no bueno. <laughs> No bueno. That, that's totally fair. Yeah. Uh, so on top of this, coming down the pipeline, uh, uh, Bean Duck, they're getting ready for a big launch, uh, getting ready to launch a big crowdfunding campaign for your fan favorite series, LARPs, yeah. uh, trying to bring back season three on uh, the Fantasy Network. Mm -hmm. uh, what's coming down the pipeline with that? Uh, well, so we have uh, teamed up with the Fantasy Network. They're a really good group of people uh, that we actually got in touch with through a fan on Twitter that kind of linked us. Hey, have you ever spoken to each other? And I was like, no, we haven't. And so we did. And uh, now we're working with them. First, they re-aired the first two seasons on their channel. Uh, we're doing a push for season three. Um, it's the Kickstarter is going to be uh, probably the end of this year. Um, we do have a couple of other options open to us for financing, but it's not going to fill the budget. So that's why we're running a Kickstarter also to get the fans engaged and excited again. And so uh, we actually have on our page on the Fantasy Network, we have what's called like a pledge list. And it's basically just a place for people who are intending to, to donate to the, to the fundraiser um, to just kind of leave their name and email. It also gives us an idea of where we're at. So it's actually really, really important for us to, to encourage people who are donating to put their, their name on the pledge list just so that we know when we're in a good spot to, to finally launch, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to launch then fail miserably. So we need a good kind of estimate. And so that's what we're using that for. So if you do intend to give to the LARPs Kickstarter, we already have our perks planned. They're going to be dope, but uh, just go to the fantasy network, look up the LARPs page and put your name on the pledge list. It'd be awesome. Yeah, man. I'm already on the pledge list myself. I encourage listeners to also do this. Uh, one watch of LARPs. You're going to love it. It's a great show. But we're not talking about LARPs today. In fact, I no. kind of put you on the spot this last Friday. I just kind of threw a trailer at you uh, and said, hey, you want to be on my podcast to review this? We are, of course, talking about the new uh, film, You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, did, uh, what did you think of the trailer, first and foremost? What were your expectations here? Um, so I had, I don't, you know what? I don't really remember the trailer now, um, but... I had just watched a Fantasia film fest uh, film yeah. that had David Arquette in it. And I guess I didn't really remember who David Arquette was until Jen reminded me. She's like, yeah, he's like in a whole bunch of horror films. And I was like, oh yeah, it's like all the scream movies and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and then I'd seen him in that film, which was called 12 hour shift. Not a great movie, but what are you going to do? But he was great. He was hilarious in it. So um, I'll talk more about what I thought of that because I kind of feel like it relates to my opinion of David Arquette after seeing this film. Yeah, please. Um, but I guess we'll get to that uh, once we talk deeper about the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny because uh, this film, this documentary was also at the Fantasia Film Festival. So, Oh, was it? Yeah, it was. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah, so David Arquette was all over Fantasia this oh year. Oh my god, cool. making a comeback! <laughs> yeah, um, so like the movie starts a bit of a summary about his brief run in wrestling about twenty years ago. He was involved in WCW. It was cross promotion with his film Ready to Rumble, which was you know WCW had a heavy hand in producing in the first place. His involvement in that whole wrestling scene made him lose a lot of credibility in Hollywood and uh, being recognized as a former WCW world champion kind of makes him a pariah to wrestling fans as well. So he's being rejected by two worlds. And this is all punctuated with Ric Flair coming in. He's talking about how 
David Arquette. He was an outsider, but he had a lot of respect for wrestling. Uh, he was a gentleman, but uh, he's not someone who has his blessing as a wrestler. You know, 20 years ago, Julian, this kind of got some mainstream news. Did you happen to hear any of this or do you remember? No, 20 years ago, I was still playing the Sega Genesis game with Bam Bam Bigelow and Gold Dust. That's all. That's the extent of my of my wrestling news. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, like, it sets the tone, right? Uh, tone well enough. Like, did it kind of give you a sense of what's going on there? Part of the questions I had for you about this film is, is really to what extent the wrestling community was hurt by this. And, you know, and, and so uh, that was kind of something that I was like, I don't want to say I was questioning the whole way through, but like at the beginning I was, you know, it kind of goes to my, my semi thoughts about this film is that, I mean, it is a documentary in that it's documenting progress, you know, yeah. but so much of the film seems pretty heavy handed and scripted. And so, um, and so I guess into that, to, to, to that extent, to that point, like how, how much was this a controversy in, in the wrestling world? I know it said at the beginning of the film, it's like widely considered one of the worst moments in, in wrestling history. Um, but at the same time, something else I've noticed is that this film is executive produced by David Arquette and yeah, produced true. by his wife. And so it starts to make you wonder about the motives behind making the film. And so how much of it is being exaggerated? Yeah, I, I definitely understand that perspective. And uh, I have like uh, similar concerns later on in the film. Uh, but for this opening scene, like it, it's fairly accurate. Um, the wrestling world was really not pleased with a celebrity coming in and really just like devaluing a championship with mm -hmm. this. You know, celebrity matches are not anything new, but to put a championship, like the main championship on the guy was like very questionable. Um, I mean, and, and that was just like, one of a huge number of mistakes that WCW was making. They're doing a lot of really questionable shock, uh, car crash, uh, story writing just right. to kind of like pop the ratings here and there. But ultimately like they went from 60,000 people coming to see their shows. Uh, and in the course of the, uh, by the end of the, like the following year, they were bankrupt and WWF bought them. Um, my God. And, so they and, regret these decisions is what you're saying. <laughs> very much so. Yeah. I would, uh, I would hope so. Um, yeah. So like that, that part is like fairly accurate. And, you know, like you said, uh, his wife's involved and, um, we, we meet her. She's got a, uh, she's like a former journalist, uh, has a budding film career. Uh, we learn a little bit of how they met and the uh, dogs. And then we cut to David uh, in the car. He's, he's kind of like on the road venting about his film career. And this is where I had like a same concern as you did of like sensationalized or yeah. biased, uh, in the documentary. Cause he talks about how he hasn't worked in 10 years um, and a quick, you know, search on, of IMDB. Yep, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> Yeah, that's like not accurate at all. I and, yeah, and it's unfortunate because on the one hand, I understand like he was at least according to him on route to being like an A list actor, and he's not anywhere near where Will Smith and Leonardo DiCaprio got. Um, but uh, but at the same time, it's kind of hard for me as an actor and you know and, and knowing how many especially right now struggling actors there are in montreal in particular for someone to be saying they're not getting any work and then to look at their imd and they have work it's just not the work they want yeah it's not the recognition they want and in the end that's all he wants is he wants to be he wants to be held up you know like i idealized uh that's not the right word ideal whatever the word is um so like, it's kind of sucky. It's like you are getting work, but I understand it's not the work that you were kind of promised when you were put on the cover with all those A-list actors. Uh, so I understand that he would be upset about it. Like I looked through that list. I don't know any of those projects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're all very like B-list stuff and you know, yeah. this, that, and the other. Yeah. I mean, and I feel like that, I mean, it's true. Like how many A-list actors do you know that are in horror films? That's a good point. The, I mean, the, like, only, the only time they do is when they've usually failed in other things, like Tara Reid and stuff kind of ended up in horror films and Sharknado and whatever. It's like, it's usually where you go to end your career 
but build <laughs> almost like a uh, a cult following. But sure, he did it in the kind of the going up almost prime of his career. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't want to like uh, like deviate too far off topic yeah. here, but uh, like the, even that perception is kind of changing because like horror movie is kind of like getting in vogue. You know, mm-hmm. Emily Blunt is doing movies with uh, John, along with John Krasinski, whose star is only rising as well. Of course, mm-hmm. Jordan Peele. Um, but yeah, like I definitely see what you're saying, and I agree with it entirely. Uh, in fact, like you pretty much echoed all of my thoughts about like his, uh, you know, uh, being able to understand his creative frustration, but framing it as him not getting work is just uh, taking, take, takes us out of it a little bit. Yeah. And you know what? And to your point, uh, and also kind of recognizing the shift in all media, like video games are now being treated hyper, um, with a lot more respect in terms of the artist's craft, the performer's craft. So is TV now with Netflix. So is, uh, horror films, so is indie film, like all, and so was superhero movies. So all of a sudden, it's not just the dramas, the um, Oscar bait dramas that are considered the highbrow performances anymore. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. So like David Arquette, he goes on, he goes to meet, uh, have a meeting with Eric Bischoff, who was one of the prominent uh, writers and showrunners of WCW when uh, when Arquette was around. Bischoff kind of like acknowledges that a lot of the flack that Arquette receives from like the wrestling scene is really undue. Like he doesn't really deserve to be like crapped on by the fans and everything when it was Bischoff himself and Vince Russo, who is like another controversial figure. um, They made the decision to put the championship on him. He didn't like politic his way into getting the championship. Um, And this is all. How long, how long was his stint on like in WCW leading up to the belt? Was it one match or was it like a series of matches? Oh, I think, uh, no, he was pretty much just there one, uh, well, one night uh, to start. Like he was, uh, they, okay. Uh, Let me see if I can remember this. It was, he was there just to kind of promote the movie, the Ready Mm -hmm. to Rumble. Uh, And then it was a tag team match uh, in which whoever got the pinfall would become world champion. But it was just a clusterfuck. It made no sense because David Arquette was teaming with the champion and he ended up pinning Eric Bischoff. So like, you know, he had a, the actor pinning a guy who's not a proper wrestler or anything. So like no one's quote unquote credibility as a performer was hurt, but the championship was hurt because it left DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, who was David Arquette's partner and went to David Arquette. Again, it didn't make a lot of sense. It's, it wasn't very, it was a clusterfuck and oh, one of many that WCW did at the time. But still, like he's still very cordial with uh, with Bischoff and mm-hmm. uh it seems he's picking his brain about like getting back into the wrestling scene. And uh, at this point, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, at that point he goes to approach a promoter, Brian knobs about appearing at the legends of wrestling show. Uh, he gets turned down. He get things get a little heated quote unquote. Yeah. It doesn't fully really explain what that was about. He just essentially like he got turned down uh, and I don't know, it got a little, again quote unquote heated who mm-hmm. it seemed a little contrived and maybe like maybe it was heated but they just added the camera shakes to yeah. for, for for whatever but i like what follows because what happens next is uh we cut to david arquette he's outside he's articulating his uh he's got a very heartfelt understanding of wrestling's uh legacy uh he he knows that insiders and fans take it seriously he knows that they should take it seriously and he understands that his appearance in wrestling is a black mark, which is something he regrets doing to this thing that he loves, you know, quite deeply. Uh, he kind of punctuates it all saying he's a, he's a carny at heart. And again, powerful stuff. Like maybe some elements of the film have been contrived thus far, but this is the scene that really hooked me. Mm-hmm. Like he understands and uh, wrestling in a very profound in our sense. And he articulates it from a very unique vantage point in the industry that I don't think anyone else would really share. It's just really gripping stuff what'd you think of that scene look i i um i think i don't question anything and let me just say by the way i found this movie very entertaining uh i didn't actually say that because i went ahead and went like i question the validity of this but i mean it was still an entertaining film and i I think he was a like a super compelling character but i do think that i think that he might be a bit of an asshole I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure. My thinking is this, is that he, 
you know, he kind of saw the, the potential progression of himself as a main character in this film. Um, you know, an underdog story um, and kind of lined things up. The majority of things lined things up for him to be able to find adversity to make him a, a more sympathetic character and then go around it, right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. It, let's, say that, let, let's say that scuffle was real, right? I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't tell the person he was bringing cameras. You know what I mean? Like, right. this is his own personal camera crew that's following him around while he's kind of getting himself into these weird situations, which we'll t- talk about sh- soon enough, I'm sure. But, um, you know, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if it, it was... Um, he does feel those stuff, but he, uh, he is an actor after all. And the intention sure. of this film is to give himself a comeback. He wouldn't be doing this film if he didn't think that at the end he would succeed and get back into wrestling and acting. So this is almost his way of getting back into that stuff. So I think it's a super like touching moment. And what he's talking about is true. Uh, but in the kind of like in the context of the documentary, I think it is very planned. You know, okay. which is cool, which is still, which is cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't say any of this stuff is bad necessarily. I think it makes no, for a good story, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. No, I get what you're saying. And uh, after this whole scene, we're introduced to the underlying lining health problems that, uh, that Arquette's uh, experiencing mm. uh, heart problems, anxiety, and alcoholism. Uh, then we, you know, he goes to see his doctor about with, and gets the ketamine treatment, which was, a uh, very jarring scene, hard to watch. You know, he's yeah. lucid and happy, and then he crashes into panic at like the drop of a hat. His wife and doctor they're trying to calm him down and restrain him to a degree. It's it's hard to watch. Yeah, that's a pretty messed up moment. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. And what's kind of interesting because that uh, I actually looked up the date this was made, and I realized that this is probably made over a two year timeline or something like that. Because yeah. the movie I saw him in, oh, at Fantasia, he is fit. And then I'm watching this film. I'm like, but if this just came out and he's like, that's out of shape, you know, I'll say, you know, most importantly, the takeaway of this film, kudos to this guy for getting ripped in his like late forties, early fifties, whatever he's at now. Like he was doing some sick moves in this film. Yeah. A real body transformation. Now, like, I understand that, you know, documentaries, they have a finite amount of time to like get all the information out and everything we're not really given a lot of context on how ketamine helps with depression and anxiety. Yeah. Uh, I don't quite understand what the point of that scene was. It was a cool scene, but I don't really yeah. know why he was doing it. This is it. You know, like after, after I watched the movie, I, I read a Harvard med study just, and some researchers are deeming ketamine very promising in this kind of treatment, but without that context, like you say, it was just, it's shock and awe yeah. uh, that doesn't really inform the bigger picture, I guess. No. So after that, you know, he's, he gets a booking, he gets booked for a wrestling convention uh, and he decides to get uh, new photos done, which he dresses. As oh a- my God. I, mo- I noted this down as my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> the that wizard? photo shoot was yeah. my favorite part of the movie, except for other than one moment in which he's riding uh, later on, he's riding a camel or something and he sneezes what he just sneezes because he has allergies and i just thought that was fucking brilliant like way to keep that in that's really funny it's these little things that make it make it feel like okay they're aware that this is heightened and almost scripted reality which actually in a way reminds me a lot of wrestling yeah you know like i find a lot of parallels between this film and wrestling um but uh, but what wasn't I've deviated? Oh yeah, the photo shoot was so funny. That was so good because it like that that photographer must have been like some like mall strip mall photographer, you know, <laughs> who is just like okay, like is just super excited that he's not taking like some prom photos again or like like is doing wrestling photos and just to see the energy because David Arquette is like clearly very hyper. And very mm-hmm. playful and childlike. And so to see the effect that that has on someone who maybe is like experiencing for the first time, like that, that scene was brilliant. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> did that resonate for you particularly as a photographer? Yes, it <laughs> did. Because I'm a headshot photographer and I don't get to do those kinds of things. 
Um, <laughs> I don't get to just be silly. Uh, so it was super. I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he takes the, his stack of new photos of him as a wizard with his championship belt uh, to the convention. Um, no one comes to his table. They go to see the, uh, the legends of wrestling that are there instead. Uh, some vendors are talking shit about him, And uh, then his friend from the van and uh, forgive me, anyone listening, but I've missed that gentleman's name, but his friend from the van says he got David Arquette booked on a wrestling show. Oh um, yeah. And okay, uh, sidetrack for a second to just add to like the the narrative and the kind of like performative aspect of this film. When they're interviewing that guy in the van, he's got his leg up like <laughs> like it's framed like something out of like Shit's Creek. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. so it's so silly, uh, but but it works. It was great. Um, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Keep going. No, 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 no. Please jump in at any point. Uh, you know, he, he get, gets booked for this uh, backyard wrestling show, and again, more trash gets kind of talked about him by like these, like backyard wrestling people uh, yeah. who beat David Arquette down with light tubes and thumbtacks, and uh, he gets you know beaten pretty bad. And you know, despite all that, his spirits aren't faltered. He's encouraged to go to a proper wrestling school, uh, which takes him to like this little. Yeah barn out in georgia and again more people just talking shit about him like man let me backtrack a second that backyard so funny that i say the photo shoot was my favorite scene that backyard (laughs) wrestling was my least favorite scene yeah uh that was very um and i don't know anything about backyard wrestling but Mm -hmm. like here let me ask you a quick question first off backyard wrestling is that also choreographed uh you know to a degree I, i mean like i'm sure every I'm hesitant to use the yeah. word promotion, uh, but every, you know, backyard wrestling probably has its own little niches and, you know, cause they're not trained yeah. and they don't know how to put a match together. So there's right. probably a lot of, uh, a lot more just, you know, doing whatever they want and not doing it properly. Yeah. That, um, no, that to me was, uh, I had a hard time believing that scene. Sure. Um, it's weird to me that David Arquette, a uh, Hollywood actor, would be okay if it wasn't for the context of this film, of the <laughs> film, right? Would yeah. be okay going into someone's backyard on a broken ring and ha- getting the crap kicked out of him by a kid uh, who he's not rehearsed with, I would mm-hmm. assume, uh, having light bulbs broken over him, dragged along it, getting all bloodied, and then only afterwards do they respect him. Now he knows what wrestling's about. I don't know much about wrestling, but I feel like that's not what wrestling's about. No. Um, you know, it's like saying uh, stunt fighting in film is about getting your nose broken. That's what it's about. No, it's about training and getting the things right and, and, and having respect for the, the danger involved. It doesn't mean actually getting yourself hurt. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. And I, I definitely agree with that. And I agree with your perspective, but there are certainly some backyard, you know, backyard wrestlers who probably do have this like twisted understanding of like, Oh, you know, you'll get respect when you get, you dragged on a, over the thumbtacks, you know, you know, there's, there's some twisted perspectives um, in how one earns respect in, in wrestling. And I say that as an outsider, just a fan who knows absolutely nothing, but I have seen those untrained, uh, untrained wrestlers who just, yeah. I think you earn respect by wearing the like super shiny Lycra bodysuits. You know what I mean? That's what gets you the respect. Yeah. No, I I agree. And you know, (laughs) I agree. Showing up as a wizard, you should have like pure respect, nothing but Come on, respect. man. You threw streamers out of his hands. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, now, like during all this, like between the backyard stuff, the, the school, I'm worried about his health, man, because like he talked about how he's just like, he's not built for this. He's going to get himself seriously hurt. And he just kind of carries on anyway. It's weird to me that the doctor says any hit and you can cause internal bleeding. And then that's true for like anything. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And like, but then like later he's being, you know, just getting the crap kicked out of him. Like, ah, there's a lot about it that doesn't seem to add up, you know? Yeah. But, uh, 
But no, like, uh, even if that is the case, man, this guy is committed. <laughs> and I think and maybe that's the most respectful, respectable thing about all this is how committed he is to fixing it, you know? I agree, yeah, yeah. And after all this, he heads home. He broaches the topic of wrestling with his family. Uh, his youngest son is really enthusiastic. His, oh, my God, his family's great. Uh, his daughter is just like, you know, doing the teenage daughter thing, being like, oh. no, dad, that's embarrassing. They're hilarious, yeah. those two. Yeah. And then he brings it up with his wife and uh, she says like, he doesn't know why, uh, you know, the, his, her reaction really deflates him. I think yeah. like I'm kind of like very bubbly talking about it. And then she's like, not okay with it. And, you know, he's like, he just kind of sinks and says, I don't know. Uh, I don't know why I have to do it. I just have to do it. You know? Um, but she's a like, producer of the film. I know. I know. <laughs> she's but a producer still. of the film. But Maybe still, she came in at the end. Who knows? But yeah, that's it. That's it. A... It's a family of storytellers. Uh, uh, and after and after all this, you know, he gets on he gets on his horse in his wizard robe, uh, smoking an e-cigarette, uh, and just like that image juxtaposed against him saying, "I don't want to be a joke." Is that's my one of my favorite scenes of the film. Yeah. Uh, yeah yeah no and and i think that like you know he does say it at some point i think that's kind of like the underlying motivation behind everything is that it's fine to be in on the joke but it's not fine to be the joke yeah and so uh you know which is uh, which is kind of i feel like also like the whole mentality about like you know being a you know i'm trying to get wrestling terms here but being a heel uh Mm -hmm. it's like you want to be hated if that's the goal yeah you don't want to be a hero that everyone hates you know like then that kind of like you want to be in on it you want to be the orchestrator of it and this kind of feels like his way of reclaiming his kind of silly um silly status within world wrestling uh is to is to be in on the joke yeah. By doing exactly that, riding on a horse in a cape saying, I don't want to be a joke. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. After this, you know, we cut into uh, Diamond Dallas Page, uh, the person who was champ around the time David Arquette was around. It's an older interview. Um, he's reiterating that d- uh, David didn't want the title, but because he respected it. Uh, and it transitions into a conversation with DDP. Uh, they do some yoga. Uh, and DDP is never seen again in the movie. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that was odd yeah well uh yeah, i mean like they're friends i guess you know sneak in a little extra credit for drop, yeah. next up he's training in mexico with uh luchadors and yeah. uh they're, yeah they're working on a couple little spots uh working on a hurricane rana which is like you know as you can see a very tricky move uh but he eventually gets the hang of it which is pretty cool yeah i uh, thought that was that was a dope moment when he finally does that first jump when they were kind of saying like if this guy can't get it, we got to kick him out of the gym. I'm like, okay, enough. Like, <laughs> you know, this is enough of this script. But sure. when he does land it, you see, like, and like, and that's why it's like I have this conflicted feeling about this movie because, like, sometimes I just roll my eyes and I'm just like, that was a line that was given to that guy to say. You think? Because I, do, yeah. Okay. You think he's gonna let? Like, think David Arquette's gonna come in with a film crew and whatever, and they're gonna kick him out? after half an hour because he can't land a, a, a like the world's hardest move <laughs> right away you know what i mean like no like they're just giving some some stakes to each individual scene but like it's a bit much and, and he lands it and it's incredible like i think it's super cool that they that he lands it and i love that they're all very supportive of him when he does it yeah you know? and uh you know that support they uh they decide to take him uh panhandling with them uh to do a <laughs> it was so bizarre Right, uh, they yeah. have a wrestling match in an intersection uh, at the stoplights in uh, in Tijuana. He does a he does a little match. Uh, people aren't particularly impressed, but then the second one, he goes for he climbs a ladder. He jumps onto uh, the other wrestlers in the street. Starts getting honks from all the cars who are applauding him, and uh, he earns a little bit of coin this way. And uh, yeah, that that one's that one's fun. I, I would love to see more panhandles panhandlers wrestle. That was, I mean, I didn't know that that existed, but I thought that was super cool. Right. Uh, and watching the two pros do it uh, between his two matches, I think, yeah. or his two performances were super sick. 
you know, that's, that's like, I guess I'd never properly seen luchadors before. Sure. Uh, but that's right. Luchadors. Yeah. 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 I've only seen them in video games. Sure. But, <laughs> oh, but watching go is, is something else, man. Like the, yeah. like Lucha Libre is just an intense uh, style of wrestling. that's very easy to get into. Yeah. Uh, so, as a fan, uh, not as a performer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I do feel like that does feel that that's, that feels like one of the only f- to me, uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm analyzing this also as like a filmmaker, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, not just, and that's why, but it, why I wanted to invite you to this, uh, this particular yeah, episode. That was one of the few truly real moments that I felt in the film because you can tell he's uncomfortable. Yeah. He's really uncomfortable, uh, with it. Uh, he's uncomfortable going to get money. Like he's uncomfortable when he fails or before he even goes out. But when he starts going around and trying to get money from people and they're like miming, giving him money and he's like, ah, oh, there's nothing there. You know, like he's uncomfortable. And so that's yeah. like a really real moment other than like later on his accident, which we'll talk about later. But um, like when he gets the money and he gives it to them at the end, like that's really nice. And, and so that was an, that was an odd moment that i really yeah. thought had a good spot in the film absolutely um at that point you know he uh, they fall into a bit of a luchador montage of, uh, of training and hitting the town and uh painting the town red getting the tattoo and everything uh very very fun very punk rock kind of scene uh leads to a tag team match at the school that he was initially learning at and uh you know he his team loses, but you know, he kind of earns the respect of his teachers and that's kind of demonstrated by them unmasking in front of him. And, uh, one of the luchadors giving him a signed mask. And, uh, I can't really overstate how big of a deal that is in, uh, in like Lucha Libre Mexican yeah. wrestling culture. Like that's, that's pretty big. Yeah. He didn't seem like he was pretending when he got that, like he seemed pretty affected by it. And I thought that was, yeah. that was very cool. Yeah, he was very visibly moved and uh, to a degree yeah. very much fighting off tears. It's, yeah. uh, I, have a, I have a side a side question, which is jumping to the very end of the film, uh, if I may. Yeah. Uh, one of the last things that's shown at the end of the film is that he's considered one of the top 500 wrestlers uh, in history. No, is that wrong? No, not quite. Uh, every year, the Pro Wrestling Insider magazine is like the, probably the most revered of the pro wrestling magazines. Uh, they do their 500 every year. Um, oh, okay and, so it's top 500 yeah. of that year exactly okay yeah. gotcha thank you um what is that based on is that based on that's not, i'm assuming that's not based on wins because that is not up to them it's just up to skill and and uh like audience interaction or whatever like what is it based on yeah it's always um subject to some controversy i guess uh because like wrestling is a uh, like you said, scripted reality. I think that, uh, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, sums it up very nicely. They do factor in wins, but not exclusively. They also factor in like, well, I'll take this year, for example, they also factored in like variety of opponents, uh, kind of like impact on the industry as a whole. Well, I would love to say it's, it's, it's math and science, but really like even putting that list together is more of an art than anything. Right. Okay. Yeah. I forgot so, why I was asking for that in particular with this, but I'm sure it'll come back to me. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. It jump, uh, and like, you know, jump back into it. Like uh, even if we're in the middle of something else, please yeah, do. It's cool. Uh, yeah. He gets back to, uh, to the States uh, and he announces on Wendy Williams that he's getting back into professional wrestling. The media starts picking it apart and making fun of him again. And uh, that's when he starts getting called out by uh, Toronto wrestler, RJ city, which leads to a big match between them uh, at championship wrestling from Hollywood. RJ picks up the win, but this match is like really well received. This is a fun scene too because like they show. I remember them. what was gonna. I remember why, and it actually has to do exactly with this. Please, uh, but uh, no. But finish your thought. What were you gonna say? No, no, no. I'm just saying that like you know, it's a really cool scene. They show how they plan on putting the match together. Then they show David Arquette like reliving it, like like uh, move for move. Yeah. Uh, just a really cool scene and uh, really impressive to watch. Right. But back to the PWI for a second. Well, and so like. Um, so it has to do with, I guess, because the, the, it popped in my head because I was wondering if luchador matches are to the same extent planned out uh, as, uh, as you know, North American wrestling, I guess, is, or, what, or whatever, whatever you, yeah. I, I would call it. Um, because one thing that I didn't notice is I don't think I ever saw him win all film. 
Like I don't no. remember seeing him win. And so that's something that's like super in a way admirable again, is that he is earning the respect by losing. Yeah. By giving great performances, but never taking home the win. And I kind of feel like that's a really conscious way to counteract the fact that before he had no skill and then won. So now he has skill and is losing. And I thought mm. that fight with RJ city was super cool. I thought that, um, uh, the, um, the planning scene, like you said, was, was awesome. Uh, and I, I thought that like, it was really cool seeing them to talk it out. The fact that like, they're just two athletes, but performers gearing up for a performance. It reminds me of a backstage rehearsal of something like a last minute Italian, um, mm -hmm. which is when you go through the whole script really fast. Um, and so that was, that was really cool. I really, really, that seeing that gave me so much more admiration for the performance in the end. Um, and I know it's not often thing. It's not something that's ever seen really by, by fans of traditional uh, in traditional matches or whatever. Exactly. And like, just to jump on something you said there, um, there is a level of like choreography, certainly like there's a lot of pre-planning that goes into these kind of things. Um, and you're asking if like Lucha Libre do things differently and they certainly do. But one thing to kind of keep in mind is, forgive me, I, I feel like I'm being fansplainy uh, and please stop me if it's like, if I'm getting too deep, but like, while they do know who's winning, they know some of the bigger spots, there is like a high level of improv kind of going into these matches, like based on what the audience is giving them, what mm -hmm. they want to see and uh, what they can give back kind of, kind of thing. Interesting. So is yeah. there like, are there like, inside communication signs that they do to kind of let each other know what's coming? Yeah, absolutely. If something's you know, like, improvised? Yeah, for sure. There's like, um, you know, for, again, this is just kind of what I've gathered by being a fan from so many years and hearing little bits and pieces here and there. But, you know, for example, someone's got a sleeper hold on one guy. He's like, and that's more of like a rest that's giving them both a moment to catch their breath. Meanwhile, whoever's uh, in charge of the match, usually one person's kind of like leading, the other one's following, kind of whispers like the next couple of spots and then they right. kind of run through that. Got it. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. I will say this though. I wish the movie had more RJ City in it. Um, yeah, he was great. He is like razor sharp wit. Uh, one of the funniest people in the whole wrestling scene. They is, show... is he a heel? Uh, right now he is. Uh, he, he's not shy about telling you that he's a heel, that you are supposed to boo him, uh, that don't buy his merch. If you buy his merch, he will send you an email that he's upset about that. <laughs> uh, it's, he's a very, uh, very meta humor. Uh, which yeah, is, that's uh, great. Just fun. Yeah. Yeah, so like from there, we get a montage of uh, David Arquette's run in the indies. He's working with just about every uh, name in the independent wrestling scene. He starts tagging with RJ City, uh, which leads to a lot of fun stuff. Oh, I didn't uh, notice that part. Yeah, at one point, like they're wearing like matching gear and uh, oh, getting so ready for a match. Yeah, he's getting into shape. Again, we talked about his body transformation early on. He, you know, at the beginning of the movie, he was kind of like... Uh, well, like skinny fat. And now he's just like, you know, he's leaned up. Uh, he's apparently stopped smoking. He's taking a lot better care of himself and he's getting buzz as a wrestler. Like the, like, and I remember this, uh, like I hadn't seen many of his matches, but I was hearing David Arquette's name come up a lot, a lot mm. more uh, frequently, but this all kind of like leads comes to a head at uh, his death match against Nick Gage. And uh, this is the other really uncomfortable part of the movie. And I knew it was coming. Um, David takes seen it in the news. Yeah, I saw it in the news. I was like making big headlines. Um, he uh, David takes a few light tubes to the head, uh, but where shit goes south is Gage is grabbing like a broken light tube and like shoving it into Arquette's head. Uh, David sweeps the leg to try to reverse it, uh, but Gage kind of like slips and trips. I like I can't really articulate the motion mm -hmm. that happens, but it looks completely accidental. Uh, and he stabs Arquette right in the throat with this light tube. This David stab, it looked like it dragged it. Yeah. I, well, I what I saw, and again, like it, maybe, the, maybe my perspective is skewed here, but it really looked like, you know, he's driving it into his head. Then when his legs are cut from under him, he it kind of slips and uh, I see. Okay, got it. That's what I saw. And again, that might not quite be accurate, but right. uh, David immediately gets up. He walks out of the ropes, goes up, but then he turns around, starts pushing fans out of the way, getting back in the ring, and just like immediately wraps up the match. He gets pinned. 
say what you will about deathmatch wrestling. I do myself. Uh, it's not a style of wrestling that I particularly enjoy or endorse. But this moment, like, really kind of certified David Arquette as a professional wrestler. Hmm. Um, I'm not glorifying his choices to finish the match because I, I don't think that was a wise choice. But there is like this, you know, you know, the idiom, the show must go on. And uh, that's true for wrestling as well. And despite needing urgent medical care, David Arquette finishes, goes back to finish the wrestling. Yeah. I wonder if it has something to do with what kind of, because I can imagine that in that moment, before he realizes and gets up and walks out, he mounts the other guy. I think, I think he ended up on top of the other guy and then he kind of noticed and then he just yeah. got up and walked out. That's exactly. Uh, and so I wonder if the guy kind of like, you know, tells him like, whatever, like you kind of see that something's wrong. He realizes he's bleeding. He gets up. And like, in that sense, it's just like one mission, get to the, get help. Right. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me that there was a hockey player that got uh, a goalie that uh, years ago, they got their throat split, slit yeah. when yeah. Uh, the crashed into him. And he immediately got up and skated to, uh, but just blood pouring out of his throat. He survived, right. luckily. And uh, he gets to the camera crews, and it's with the cam. When he gets to the camera crews, when he stops and then looks back and then goes back into the match. And I wonder if seeing the camera crews reminded him that he's on camera and what this all was for, mm. you know, and kind of just momentarily took him out of the health panic mode and brought him back into the career panic mode sure which just goes to show if that's true if that has anything to do with it how important this all is to him yeah the 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 the, 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 how important that his respect to go back in and finish the match is more important than his bleeding throat yeah yeah, I mean, like, that's very possible that that was part of his inter- internal monologue as, as well. Yeah. And, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to ask about death matches in general, because I don't think I know what makes a death match a death match. Uh, it's just, like, ultra-violence. Um, you saw a bit of it in the backyard stuff, like, uh, the light tubes and uh, thumbtacks are a staple of it. And in terms of, like, storytelling, I understand when a rivalry kind of like heats up to the point where like they, these two wrestlers have to like finish it and get as violent as possible make it, you know, truly like the, uh, the bloodiest match to end the rivalry. Uh, but you know, deathmatch wrestling is kind of in vogue in, uh, in like some independent wrestling circles where like they don't need the rivalry to get that bloody mm. and violent. They just kind of like, Oh, let's see how violent it's cool. Yeah. Let's put, scissors on this uh, piece of plywood and slam each other into them it's uh yeah yeah uh this is an audio podcast but i wish you could have seen julian's face right there it's not i uh... vomited (laughs) i was vomiting folks you missed it (laughs) yeah i'll send you a drawing (laughs) so uh they frame uh the pain from this incident as uh what causes david to relapse uh kind of like has trouble managing his pain. He's drinking harder and sicken up at shows. Um, And not long after this death match, uh, his close friend Luke Perry uh, passes away. Oh, is that, is that when he died? Cause they, they talk about Luke Perry at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Uh, Uh, But yeah, Luke Perry was in the car with him, uh, taking him to the hospital. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. It's yeah. pretty brief. Uh, like he, it's clear Luke Perry didn't want the camera on him, so like he pushes it away very quickly. But yeah, uh, Arquette carries on carrying on in the wrestling scene and uh, um, through all this pain. There's the part <laughs> in the film where it goes to shit, right? It's the ultimate yeah. down. The whole film is a bunch of ups and downs. There's always increasing as an average, but then there's this huge pitfall and everything goes down. And that's clearly the moment of this film. Uh, and uh, you know, it kind of makes me, uh, but it was very short. And that's the, my main point mm. is I got past that very quickly. It's actually not very representative of a traditional film beat. Uh, it was only like a couple of minutes long. Yeah. They showed a montage of him barfing in boxes and like, you know, drinking again or whatever. But that whole thing was just a couple minutes long. Um, and 
it makes me wonder, it's like, okay, are they, are they speeding this up? Again, thinking about what the point of this film probably is, which is to rebuild his image, both as a wrestler, as an actor. Maybe they want to speed past this because they don't want this associated with him longer than it needs to be, but they still have to acknowledge it. Mm. Um, but it also makes me wonder, what was the original idea for that down in the film? Because whatever it was, it was replaced by this. Yeah. Was it was it something to do with that death match? Was that death match supposed to be more kind of hyped within this film? But then they kind of threw that aside once he got his throat jabbed. Yeah, uh, I mean, like I I can't I obviously can't speak for the filmmakers. Uh, yeah. You know, we can only really speculate an exercise in hypotheticals here. Yeah, but but, I do uh, but yeah, that's a lot of garbage to get past, man. Yeah. Thing you're one of your best friends, uh, a close to death injury. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, All that was a matter of, uh, of weeks. It's uh, yeah, it, like he went th- he went through the ringer, and as you as you say, it uh, happens very briefly. Not to undermine the pain that he went through during this time, but it's kind of like um, the song in the the first song in Frozen, where halfway through the song, their parents die, mm-hmm. and then they just carry on. <laughs> Yeah, because and and that's a shame because it's it's you know it clearly is a very important part of of his of his life. You yeah, know what I mean, and like you say, you're saying I don't want to minimize it, but I think the film minimizes it. Sure, you know, like I think that it's such a an important part probably of his life moving forward. The time that he almost relapsed because of all this stuff, including losing his one of his best friends, mm-hmm. uh, but then he bows back from it, you know, and I feel like they should have spent more time on that because it probably was more important than they made it. I agree. You know, it was a very short montage and like already, like they kind of cut to, you know, they, they start going home with the movie. They, uh, uh, he gets invited back to legends of wrestling show, the mm-hmm. one that he was kicked out at the, uh, or rejected from at the beginning of the film. Uh, he's got a match against uh, Mr. Anderson um, his wife joins him. I don't know if she was supposed to surprise him or if she just surprised him in, in the framework of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's dressed as Miss Elizabeth, which, you know, they've been alluding to during the movie that Miss Elizabeth is something of a muse for David Arquette's mm-hmm. wrestling career. Um, and yeah, he works the match with Anderson and they send the crowd home happy. Is Miss uh, Elizabeth still alive? No, she passed away, I want to say 10, 15 years ago or so. Uh, that would have been awesome if she had been there to take him on that would have been fun that would have been fun i was a little annoyed that they didn't actually show the finish of the match uh they show david arquette like doing a big crossbody off the top rope and anderson uh anderson but we never see like a three count but i guess ultimately it doesn't matter like this isn't the story of david arquette winning a wrestling match it's about him trying to win back a scene that he loves so much you know Yeah. Uh, yeah but he did win that match did he i mean i'm asking you did he no, no, okay. Uh, I I don't think he did because I think oh. if he did, they would have showed the three count. Instead, oh. they just showed like he, he does the big move, crowds applauding, and then they show him uh, with his wife and yeah. uh, uh, Booker T. I'm imagining something happened. I'm imagining Mr. Anderson got the three count, and then there was some like post match shenanigans, and he stormed off. And, yeah. Or yeah, and Booker T made the save, and Man, you know, crowd crowd goes home happy. Nice little epilogue after this uh, of. Arquette working a match with Jungle Boy, uh, the son of Luke Perry. Yeah. They roll credits. Yeah, that's cute. I really like yeah. that. Yeah, Jungle Boy, uh, he's, a, he's a cool performer. All in all, Julian, like uh, top to bottom, uh, what, do you, what do you think of the movie? Do you, is this something that has rewatch value or uh, something that, <laughs> that compelled you? Uh, I probably won't rewatch it, um, okay. but that's fine. I don't rewatch 99% of the films that I watch. I, you know, the ones that I do, I binged, and it was usually when I was younger, like Pulp Fiction and The Lion King. You know, two very similar films. <laughs> um, but I thought it was very entertaining. I'd, I, I had a healthy dose of skepticism the whole way through. Yeah, um, that's fair. But I think it's a highly motivating film to see. Yes. Like, I know I'm someone who constantly says, like, I got to get in shape and whatever, but like... <laughs> Um, the fact that it's never too late. I mean, then again, he's, he's probably got this money machine behind him and this team and whatever, but it's never too late to not only change who you are, like to, to change your, 
your health and your fitness, whatever, but also to try to, re to redeem people's perceptions of you. Yeah. Um, and he does seem regardless, like a pretty tragic figure. And that's something that I feel pretty bad for, mm. uh, because I hate the idea of people's suffering and especially when it's like as a result of their professional career like that's such a that's such a sad thing um and so i hope i mean i'm rooting for him i hope that he has a major film comeback not only just in fantasia films but you know he yeah. seems like a pretty talented actor so absolutely yeah did you enjoy it oh very much so um it kind of felt like a love story to me. Um, now I, I, I understand your skepticism uh, about like certain aspects and I, you know, I respect them too. Uh, but to me, I really felt David Arquette's love of wrestling uh, is genuine. Yeah. I think it runs deep uh, and it's like very much in his system, but, uh, but he, <laughs> this sounds silly, but he hurt wrestling. Wrestling is rightfully pissed off and uh, wants nothing to do with him. And he's doing everything he can to win wrestling back. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that, uh, that framework. I, I, I think I'll rewatch it again at some point, at, at least maybe in terms of sharing it with mm -hmm. someone who's less than impressed with, uh, with professional wrestling. Uh, but while I do share skepticism about certain elements, this movie is still an absolute win in my book. Yeah. And that's why, yeah, exactly. I agree. I think that the, the, the purpose of this film and the, the feelings behind it are a hundred percent genuine. Um, yeah. You know, so you script a few things along the way, Absolutely. you know, that that's totally fine. Why not? You know, when, when I'm making a, you know, if I am going to start, like I said, like I'm, I'm going to be uh, making my first vlog with, uh, while I showcase like my, my, my drone, if I have a funny moment and it, but it doesn't shoot properly, I'm going to reenact it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But then like, it's a whoa, did you see that? Whoa, so crazy. Like everything on recorded media. You, you messed up a bunch of times in this interview. You're going to edit it out. Oh yeah. And you oh, start yeah. it again. So I have no doubt, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that taints the, the, the film at all. Um, I still enjoyed it. And I, I'm, I'm happy for David. Good on you, David, says some random kid in Montreal that you've never heard of. <laughs> Julian, where can the audience follow you on social media? You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at jstambouli. You can probably see the spelling of it somewhere written on this podcast. Very much um, so. You can check out my new YouTube channel. If you, uh, I don't have a proper URL yet. I just started this thing. I've got like 40 subscribers, so give me a break. Mm -hmm. But if you Google, it's the Coolian that you'll you'll see it and that uh, but follow larps check us out follow our facebook larps the series and uh if you're gonna be supporting the campaign make sure you uh put your name on that pledge list friends and be super appreciated awesome dude thanks so much for being part of the show thank you bye everyone so I did a quick Twitter search of You Cannot Kill David Arquette, hoping to find a variety of thoughts on the film, both positive and critical, but honestly, I had trouble finding the latter. Let me read off a couple of the tweets I found. This one's from Hala at B-Dub, uh, at Hala B-Dub1. Um, he says, David Arquette, what a great documentary, loved every second, wasn't expecting that. Uh, Jeff Vader at Zava Dabadoo, love that, uh, love that handle, just finished You Cannot Kill David Arquette and loved it. Great look at the pro wrestling world through the eyes of a true fan, and I hope that David Arquette continues to succeed in it. Um, I have to see him wrestle live someday. I agree with that. I want him to come to Montreal. I think that'd be a hell of a show. One more quote, Rebecca Corey at Hippo Lover Corey. Awesome doc, David Arquette. You're a badass with a giant heart. Hashtag you cannot kill David Arquette. Uh, the closest thing I can find to anyone canning the film is from RJ City, and honestly, that's just him picking on poor old David, clearly. That was our review of You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Uh, if you haven't seen that film, but listen to this podcast anyway, I really hope you check it out. Catch it on demand. It's on all the major platforms, including YouTube and Apple. I strongly recommend this to wrestling fans. Check it out. Thanks to Julian for joining me. Aspiring filmmakers, please hit subscribe on The Coolian on YouTube. And fans of geek comedy, please check out LARPs on the Fantasy Network and sign up to pledge your support for season three. Um, if you like this podcast, I have a few more to recommend 
recommend for you. The first one is from us. Uh, it marked Julian's first time on the podcast. We watched Sasha Banks take on Alicia Edwards in our episode, Baby Got Backbreaker. That was a fun episode. The other podcast I want you to check out is a review of the very same movie that we reviewed today. It's from the Good Bad Wrestling Podcast. Uh, but the hosts, Sean and John, have backgrounds in wrestling. So their perspective makes the whole review a, a very worthwhile listen. Check them out. Um, if you like what you heard today on the podcast, please head over to ratethispodcast.com slash smartandfriends and make a C stars, please. Five of them, if, uh, if applicable. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Till then, friends. This has been a Two Finger Guns Club production. Pew, pew.